Hello and welcome to Infinite Possibilities Abound. I'm your host, Debbie Waisner. I've talked about fear in some past episodes. And generally for me, fear is written as false evidence that appears real. That the boogeyman really doesn't exist. However, the last several years we've seen big tech, media, and the government use fear to control a population. And this didn't happen just in the United States. This happened around the world. The vast majority of governments and media conspired and used fear to take away rights, to implement procedures and processes that made absolutely no sense from a scientific point of view. And you can blame this on the, on the amygdala, a region of the brain that is instinctual. It's there to protect you. However, it hijacks the cortex and the neocortex response, which is where logic and reason live. The amygdala is a highly emotional center where very basic instincts live, including fear, flight, and self-preservation. So if you want to program people, a society, a world, you have to give them a reason to be afraid and then pound that into them with propaganda at every turn. So whether it's a a medical emergency or the newest one, climate change, they try to make you afraid and fearful so that it will bypass reason and logic. But even in these cases, this is false evidence that appears real. It's not real. And that's the whole point. Whether it's a government, the media, big tech, your family, it's all about social conformity or herd mentality. We're all subject to programming and propaganda. The question is, are you going to fall for it? Are you self-aware? Can you see their words don't match their actions? I'm always amazed at how easy it is for politicians to lie and to think that people don't see that they're lying. You don't have to believe as I do, but I would like you to become aware of the various ways that we're all manipulated. Look at the words that they're using. What feelings are they trying to invoke? If they're trying to generate fear, my suggestion is that they're trying to control you, your activities, how you think, and what you feel. And the amygdala can be hijacked if you allow their fear to enter into your consciousness. Open your mind and become more self-aware and more aware of the agendas of people, politicians, and governments. Understand that fear hijacks reason and logic. And if somebody doesn't want you to be thinking and to be reasonable, then I might not want to pay attention to those people or organizations. But then again, that's just me. Do you have a like a motto for your life? Something that you kind of that you follow? My motto is live, love, learn, and lend a helping hand. And I want to talk about the first one, how to live. The first one that I mentioned, which is live. You want to live in the present. The past is gone and tomorrow does not exist. Your life exists in this present moment. And one thing I have learned and have witnessed is that if you don't have good health, then you don't have a high quality of life. 
So for me, good health is the first step on the road to living in the present. Your greatest wealth is your health. Without good health, everything else is more difficult. You become distracted by your health problems. The human body is marvelous and miraculous that can withstand monstrous and hideous treatment. You're responsible for your health. Be or become the chief executive officer of your health and of your life. Human beings, we don't, we don't pay for our bodies. We haven't assigned them a very high value because if we really valued our bodies, we wouldn't abuse them in so many horrible and ways. Many people fail to recognize the value of their health until it's too late. Humanity survived for hundreds of thousands of years without drugs, pesticides, and used nature to heal. The current state of medicine believes that the human body breaks down and falls apart. Medicine believes the human body is like a machine and doctors are the mechanics. And doctors, as the mechanics, can fix, repair, or replace our parts when they go bad. And yes, they can replace parts, but that's not optimal health. And I don't believe that's how the body is really supposed to work. The human body is a complex system that contains the ability to renew and help itself. Your body is designed to renew itself. The lining in your gut is replaced every day. Every cell is replaced on a daily basis. Your skeleton, your bones, are replaced on a schedule that runs about seven years. So the body runs on a form of an autopilot. It operates every second, every minute of every day when we are living. Damage in the form of colds, flu, cuts, bruises, and broken bones heal. Cells divide. New skin grows. New blood cells are made. Your immunity system operates to protect your life. If you don't damage your body too much and supply the correct nutrition, then your body will renew and repair itself. We've all had cuts, scrapes. My hand had a run-in with a table saw. Damaged two fingers fairly well and was a bloody mess. And the doctors in the emergency room were like, huh, there's not much we can do for this. When I saw the plastic surgeon a couple of days later and he unwrapped the fingers, he said, you probably think that this looks bad. He said, I think this looks really good. And I asked him why. And while there was, he said, well, yes, there is some tissue missing. He said, but your body can regenerate this. It's going to take about six weeks and it will be healed. Now, he said, if you want it faster than that, he says, we can do some skin grafts. He said, but that's surgery and there is a cost associated with that. And I asked him what he would do. And he said he would just let it heal naturally if it was him. If it was him. So that's what I did. Yes, it hurt. It was painful, and it wasn't very pretty, but he showed me how to take care of it, and the next time I saw him, which was in about a week, a whole lot of the swelling had gone down, and I could see what he was talking about. My body was healing itself. The human body is not designed to live forever, but it is. our cells are pre-programmed to divide only so many times. However, we can live a long and healthy life into the ninth decade or beyond. By simply paying attention to our bodies, what we eat, consume, and put on our bodies, in our bodies, around our bodies, I believe that the body can repair and renew itself. The medical system is looking for intervention. 
They want to alleviate the symptom, not find the cause of the problem and allow the body to heal. The body has an innate intelligence, but most of us ignore it or aren't even aware that it exists. Hippocrates famously said, let food be your medicine and your medicine be your food. So we want to live in the present moment. We want to be healthy. The question then becomes is, what kind of food should we eat? And there's the rub. Because big agriculture, along with giant farms and monocultures of corn, beans, soybeans, and sugar beets, along with normal farming practices, have left the land bereft of life and life-giving nutrients, minerals. The vast majority of farmland in the United States and around the world is contaminated with chemical pesticides, herbicides, like glyphosate which kills all the organisms and all the life in the soil. And then there's this weird idea that I can add only three nutrients back to the soil, nitrogen, phosphate, and potash, and have wonderfully nutritious food. And of course, that's a lie. That's a delusion. And then there's this idea from man who thinks that he's smarter than nature. So let's genetically modify our crops so we can use more herbicides instead of looking to nature to improve how food is grown. There is a small segment of the farming community that does regenerative farming and or organic farming. In both cases, they work with nature to produce highly nutritious, beautiful looking, and fabulously tasting food, most of which you can't get in a grocery store. Then if you look at how livestock is raised, can again go against nature against the foods that animals would normally eat. Cows eat grass, sheep eat grass, goats eat grass, and the weeds. But what do farmers here in the United States do? Most of them, but not all, feed them corn. And why would they do that? Because it's easier and it's cheaper to keep your cows pinned than to let them run around on the land. It's more work to let them run around on the land. But eating corn isn't their natural diet. So their stomachs get upset and they don't feel well. They may get sick. Did you know that about 60% of all the antibiotics used in the United States are used by the agricultural industry? Now they can improve the health of the animals, of course, but it's mostly because the antibiotics increase the weight of the animal. And this use of antibiotics by the agricultural industry has helped to drive antibiotic resistance. And of course, then the animals are eating pesticide-soaked and genetically modified grains, generally in an overcrowded feedlot. But there are farmers doing the right thing by their livestock by allowing them to eat grass and roam around. But the food that comes from these animals does tend to be more expensive, but it's also healthier and better for the planet. There are some farmers who will allow their animals to be grass-fed for most of their life, but they're slightly underweight. So to fatten them up for sale, they feed them corn and soybeans. Government agricultural policy isn't about producing good, healthy food. It subsidizes to the tune of billions and billions of dollars for the production of cheap corn, soybean, and wheat to be used by the food industry, 
which produces processed food with little nutritional value, or to meat producers as feed. Understand that the government, through its food policies, doesn't care if your food is healthy or not. And the FDA doesn't consider healthy food to be a necessity. They go after companies who make health claims that are supported by scientific data and published works and in certain and in publications. They've sent letters to companies stating that their health claims means that their product is a drug and needs further study. This is your government at work. Oh joy. And in our food system, the use of preservatives and chemicals that may help the food last longer but doesn't do a darn thing to improve your health is a problem. And the other problem is that the food industry learned long ago that the human body has a sweet tooth. In the 1700s, four pounds of sugar were consumed on average. In the 1800s, it was 18 pounds of sugar. Early in the 1900s, it was 90 pounds of sugar. And by 2009, the average person is consuming 180 pounds of sugar. Is it any wonder that there are health problems or that obesity rates have, have skyrocketed? The food pyramid put out by the United States Department of Agriculture has very little to do with improved nutrition, but everything to improving the profits of the agricultural and food industries. Your health is not important. What's important are profits. The ties and the relationships that bind the lobbyists, food industry, and government are powerful. So one of my first recommendations is not to rely on the government or food industry to tell you what is good for you, because that's not in their best interests. I love this quote from Thomas Jefferson. If people let government decide what foods they eat and what medicines they take, their bodies will soon be in as, as sorry a state as are the souls of those who live under tyranny. So this is where you have to get out there and do some research. People ask me, what should I eat? And I would say, I don't know. But you want to cut down on sugar for sure. And then there's the old adage, less is more. There is no diet that works for everyone. How do you feel an hour after you eat something? Are you tired? Are you full of in energy? Are you nauseous? Or are you in pain? These are all clues to how your body is reacting to the food you've consumed. I always recommend that people check out the Environmental Working Group. They do a lot of collection of products and testing on a variety of substances, food included. They publish the Dirty Dozen and the Clean 15. I take note of those when I'm buying my food. So apples, strawberries, and grapes contain a lot contain a lot of chemicals. So I tend to buy organic of those. And I'm growing my own strawberries. But you need to listen to your body because it will tell you if something doesn't agree with it. And I know people who eat the same thing four or five times a week and appear to be very healthy and very active. And I know others who eat a, a wide variety of food and are doing well. So from my perspective, there's no one diet that works for everybody. And I don't look at any food as being bad. And I would say from my reading, there are scientific studies for about every diet imaginable. Some show that the diet is good and some show that the diets are harmful. I've always found the best thing to do is to experiment with your diet 
and find out what works best for you. Think about how early human ancestors survived. They ate fruits, nuts, seeds, roots, and an occasional kill of wild game. The nuts, seeds, fruits, and roots are loaded with fiber, nutrients that that sustain you and sweep out your gut. But they were physically out there searching for food. They hunted and they gathered their food. They ate when they found food. They didn't sit down to three meals a day. They didn't exercise to stay physically fit. Their existence demanded almost constant movement to survive. They didn't run marathons. They walked unless they had a reason to run, to catch prey, or flee from prey. There are cultures around the world that still live simply and are free from modern ailments and diseases. Even here in the United States of America, the Amish live simply and are very healthy. The nutritional content of your food matters. It affects everything, your ability to learn, to perform, and to make decisions, as well as your energy level and your longevity. Make poor choices and it impacts every part of your life. It's well known that the nutritional content of modern foods is much less than it was 50 to 100 years ago. So what should you eat? You want to eat foods that are locally grown as much as possible. Maybe you can go to the farmer's market where there's community-supported agriculture, CSA. Or you can try growing some of your own vegetables and fruits. Use the Clean 15 and the Dirty Dozen from the Environmental Working Group. Two organizations that I had used in the past were localharvest.org and eatwild.com. They should be able to help you find local farmers or farmer markets. So we need to make better choices on the foods that we eat, and that includes me. I could reduce my ice cream consumption and improve other choices too. So the first thing we want to do is to make better choices in the foods that we choose and consume. Then the next question becomes is how do you eat? Do you eat unconsciously or with mindful thought? At times I eat unconsciously, but most of the time it's with mindful thought. I think about what I'm going to eat, generally on a weekly basis, and I have an informal menu in my head. You might want to write out a menu where you actually think about what it is you're going to eat that day so that we can go from unconscious eating to mindful or thoughtful eating. Next, you might want to look into intermittent fasting. And that's just a fancy way of saying you're going to eat two meals a day within six to seven hours of each other, and the rest of the time you're not going to eat any food. What a normal day for me would look like would be having lunch about two o'clock and then having dinner about seven or so. What this does is it allows my body to consume and assimilate and disseminate the food I've eaten and then rest. And now it can give energy to other systems of my body. I am flexible about this. Nothing is written in stone. I go out to lunch and dinner with people. I go to breakfast with others. And I attempt to eat healthy 80% of the time. The old 80-20 rule. To eat mindfully means not to be distracted as you eat, to be grateful to the many people who made the meal possible. Let your senses examine your food. Notice the colors and the aromas. When you take that first bite, savor the texture and the 
flavor and the taste of the food. How does it taste? Is it sweet, salty, sour, or savory? Is it hot, cold, warm, and gooey? Chew each bite thoroughly and make sure it's well mixed with the saliva before swallowing. Saliva contains enzymes that begin the digestive process. Eat more slowly. This allows your digestive system to communicate with the brain and determine when you're full. Eating slower helps to avoid overeating. A strategy to implement is to put your utensils down between each bite. Doing that slows down the pace of your eating. And if you choose intermittent fasting, that's a form of caloric restriction. And there are thousands of studies that, sh- that show that it, that increases longevity. Eat a balanced diet composed of protein, fats, and carbohydrates. Eat fresh fruits and vegetables. Try something new. Get out of your comfort zone. Purchase organic fruits and vegetables as often as your wallet allows. You have free will and free choice in most of the decisions of your life. Make better decisions. Make better choices where food is concerned. Your body will thank you. To live a healthy life, one needs clean, clear, vibrant water. Most of the water on the surface of the earth isn't very healthy or vibrant. And the municipal water delivered in most cities, while it may be clear, it is not very healthy. Because they don't remove any pharmaceutical pesticides, herbicides, or chemicals from the water for the most part. So there are residues, and the water has been stagnant or flowing through straight pipes and has no energetic and life-sustaining energy. The best water is spring water. But if you put spring water in plastic and transport it, over time it loses its energy because it becomes stagnant. One of the most important things for vital energetic water are vortices, which can be found where rivers, creeks, or streams meet lakes and or the ocean. The inner layers of a vortex move more rapidly than the outer layers. A vortex is nature's best example of polarity. It combines both gravitational and levitational forces. A vortex gathers energy. One thing I started doing was adding raw quartz crystals like clear quartz, rose quartz, and amethyst to my water dispenser. In my case, I let the water sit overnight and then started drinking five ounces at a time every two or three hours. And I started peeing, eliminating liquid from my body more than I had put into my body at the time. I felt lighter. I gave this information to some of my friends, and they experienced the same phenomenon. Whether you want to do that or not is totally up to you. There are water bottles that are being sold that have one or more crystals. And if you're willing to spend a few bucks, you can, do, you can use those also. Circulation of water through a magnetic field stabilizes structural patterns in water. Granite is the most abundant rock on earth. It contains quartz and other minerals that amplify the signals just as they do on earth. So you could put your water container on a slab of granite. Paramagnetic rock powder 
can create a strong magnetic field in and around the water. You could put several tablespoons of paramagnetic rock near or underneath your water container. There's a product known as Quinton Marine Plasma, QMP, that can be used and added to your water to improve its condition and quality. There are vortexing systems in the marketplace for both the home and the garden. And they cause the water to spiral and give it energy and the water becomes structured. Now most of these spiralizers for water can be kind of pricey, but they are available. The better the water that you consume, the healthier your body can be. Now we don't just consume water. There are soft drinks, alcohol, a variety of teas, coffee. There's nothing wrong with any of them in moderation. As usual, the problem comes with excessive use. So let's all make better choices. I love spending time outdoors, but I don't necessarily like the mosquitoes that come with summertime. This year, the mosquitoes have been fairly light because we haven't had a lot of rain here in Indiana. As of July 2022, we're about five inches of rain below normal, but we do still have some of those wonderful things called mosquitoes. Now, fortunately, they don't particularly care for my blood type, so I don't get bitten very often, but I have some friends and family who the mosquitoes just love, and I don't really use a lot of chemicals around my house or outside in the garden. But there are some plants that can act as powerful mosquito repellers and that you can grow in the summer. Almost everyone has heard of the scented geraniums. Any scented geranium will repel mosquitoes. You can plant one or more in your garden at space or in containers where you're going to be sitting when you're outside. They need full sun, and well-draining soil. Pinch off the tips in early spring to get a bushy plant. The second plant you can use is an herb called sage. I love the flavor of sage. And fortunately, insects, particularly mosquitoes, don't like the scent that sage gives off. Again, you can plant in the garden or in a container, full sun, well-draining soil. Lavender is another wonderful and delightful smelling herb that mosquitoes do not like. It can be placed in the garden or in a container, but it does need to be raised slightly above the rest of the plants. Again, full sun, well-draining soil. Another plant that can be very helpful is bee balm. Bees love this plant and mosquitoes not so much because of the strong minty aroma and flavor. It can tolerate shade, but really prefers sunshine and well-draining soil. You might check with your local agricultural extension agent to see if bee balm is considered invasive in your area. And the last plant to consider is rosemary. Mosquitoes do not like the smell of rosemary. And it can be planted in containers or in the ground. And again, it prefers full sun and well-draining soil. When my plant, my rosemary plant, is big enough, I will cut off a couple sprigs and crush the leaves by rubbing them in between my hands and then rubbing them on my arms and or legs. And for me, the mosquitoes don't come near me then. Now, if you get a mosquito bite, you want to look for a, a broad-leafed plant 
that's called a that's a weed or is considered to be a weed called plantain. You pick a leaf, crush it, and then put it on the mosquito bite, and it takes the itchiness right out. Now there are other plants that can be helpful against mosquitoes. Garlic, lemongrass, marigolds, and petunias. I want to thank you for listening to this episode of Infinite Possibilities Abound. I'm your host, Debbie Waisner. Have an absolutely wonderful week and stay safe, happy, and aware.